Angie's list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is, and it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. The following program is a production of Chilling Entertainment and the creative team at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and a proud member of the Simply Scary Podcast Network. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com to learn more about this and our other weekly storytelling programs and become a patron today to show your support and get instant access to our extensive archive of downloadable ad-free tales of terror. Thank you for listening and enjoy the show. <laughs> Good evening. I'm storyteller Otis Gyre, and I ain't your grandfather. From where I'm from, we don't do bedtime stories. And if that's what you were expecting, you're in the wrong place. If it's terrifying tales you're after, well then, I've got just the thing. Get comfortable, settle in, turn off the lights, if you dare. Your night is about to get a whole lot darker. <laughs> Who needs sleep anyway? <laughs> Good evening. You're listening to Scary Stories Told in the Dark. Welcome to Season 5, Episode 15. I'm your host, Otis Jiley. In tonight's episode, I'll be performing four stories for you about delicious deception, repairs gone wrong, wintry wrecks, and treacherous torrents. You're listening to the standard edition of tonight's program, which contains the first two terrifying tales. If you'd like to show your support and enjoy an extended version of this and other episodes with twice the terror, visit simplyscarypodcast.com and click Patrons in the upper menu to sign up today. Thank you for your support. Now, it's time to take a walk together down the moonlit trail. So, lock your doors... Turn your lights down low and settle in. The show is about to begin. <laughs> Our first tale tonight comes to us from author Michael Page. In it, we'll meet a man reminiscing about the time he heard what, to most children, is an angelic sound. The tune of an ice cream truck approaching. There's just one problem. It had arrived in the dead of night, and there was something decidedly off about its driver. If only he could have known then what he knows now. <laughs> Without further ado, I present to you, did you hear the ice cream man last night? I used to think of hell as a faraway place. For those of you out there who still hold that belief, this piece of my life is for you. Don't ask me why I'm doing this. I'm honestly not sure. 
My therapist says writing about our traumas can help our brains cope, make things easier to swallow, a system he affectionately refers to as remedy writing. My reason could be something as selfish as that. Perhaps I'm also hoping that those of you who read this will heed its warning. Do not make the same mistakes my ten-year-old self did, or maybe it is merely the adage, misery loves company. I grew up in a middle-class suburb of Ventura County, not too far from Los Angeles. Our house was one of many cookie-cutter homes separated by white picket fences and chain-link fences. My mom, a soft-spoken, dream-driven woman, worked from home as an editor for a growing magazine. My father spent every day in Simi Valley, where he worked as a cargo loader for trucks. After a day of lifting, managing the forklift, and meeting every physical demand, he'd come home sore and irritable. I remember eagerly staring at the clock, watching it tick revoltingly slower every time I checked. Then came the magical chime that sounded our freedom. Summer break had started, and school finally released us from our desk shackles. I think I missed that most about childhood, the raw, unfettered excitement I had for things. The sort of overwhelming avidity that kept you awake at night, just waiting to look underneath the Christmas tree, just waiting to see your birthday cake, just waiting for a brand new day. We eventually lose it as adults once the day-to-day -day exhaustion and cynicism sets in. With summer came many things that have permanently crystallized in my memories. The smell of backyard barbecues, the giddy laughter of kids running through sprinklers while their parents gossip on the porch, the golden bar of sunset slowly sinking down the street, and, of course, how could we forget the ballad of a summer heat wave, the ice cream man's jingle. That was how it all started. It was a warm Wednesday night. An awful gnawing hunger pulled me out of sleep. Unable to ignore it, I slipped out of bed and crept past my parents' bedroom. I was craving something sweet from the kitchen. Settling on the last of our pudding cups, I also poured myself a small glass of milk. It would be enough to shut my stomach up. As I started back to my room... A faint sound caught my ear. A song, like the one you'd hear drifting out of a music box, was coming from outside. I walked to the window and peered through it. The muffled tune, more specifically, Pop Goes the Weasel, was coming from down the street. An ice cream truck. I'd never seen Mr. Mason out this late before. He was one of the residents of our neighborhood, who decked out his gray van to sell frozen treats. But he usually started his road at noon, when the sun was at its cruelest. Maybe it's for adults, my ten-year-old brain thought. The truck coasted by my house, moving tantalizingly slow with a happy electronic chime. It wasn't Mr. Mason's van. The truck was a pale green with blue accents on the lower half. On the side of its metal body was a large circle with the print of a cartoonish boy in the center. He had blue skin, big black eyes, and a white soft-serve hairstyle. His pupils were notched to create the illusion of a glare on his smiling Looney Tune face. One of his white-gloved hands held a fudgicle to his mouth, while the other gave a big thumbs up. The tip of the swollen thumb, as well as the fingers and wrist, appeared to be melting just like ice cream. Written above and below the circle in sizable, whimsical lettering, Piper's Popsicles. Join the fun. That next morning is still such a vivid memory to me. I remember waking up to my father's fist pounding against my door. He was yelling, ordering me to unlock it. 
pulled the sheets over my head and curled into a ball. Even now, I can still feel that sharp tinge of anxiety just thinking about it. Then, from behind the door frame, a countdown started from three. You never wanted him to reach zero. God help you if that man ever reached zero. When I opened the door, he snatched my arm and pulled me into the kitchen. My bare feet dragged pitifully across the floor. The white milk jug was sitting on the corner, its cap still missing. Mom was sitting at the table, her neck deliberately facing the window. Not a good sign. Did you leave this out? He asked with a sotto voice. When I didn't give an immediate answer, he twisted my arm. A hot ring of pain coiled around the area. Yes, I cried out. I'm sorry, I left it out. I'm sorry. Great, his voice rose and cracked. Now we need more milk. What a fucking waste. With one of his hands still clasped around my arm, he reached for the milk jug with the other and dumped it over my head. My mom gasped loudly in her seat, the trademark reaction. He left for work after that. Evidently, I made him late. It wasn't the first of my father's outbursts, and it was far from the last. Bastard was always looking for a punching bag, and when my mother didn't fit the role, I was runner-up. Every day in that house was like maneuvering around tripwires. Eventually, you'd trigger him. My mom scooped me up off the floor and took me to the bathroom so I could wash the milk out of my hair. She left a bundle of clean clothes on my bed. That was her time to react. The moment our front door slammed shut and his car left the driveway. Until then, her neck was twisted anywhere else with that same disconnected, faraway look. When I came back into the kitchen, she was making eggs for breakfast. What kept you up last night? She quietly asked me. I was hungry. I was going to put everything back, but then the ice cream truck distracted me. She looked at me quizzically, the blistering hot oil popping in the pan. What do you mean? He was driving around the neighborhood last night. Didn't you hear his music? She scrunched her forehead and shook her head. Mr. Mason wouldn't be driving around that light. There wouldn't be any point to it. All he would get is no customers and noise complaints. The sweets you ate before bed probably made you dream about it. If only that were the case. That night my stomach once again woke me. The hunger pangs had come back much worse this time, as much as I tossed and turned, trying my best to ignore it. But it was impossible. I sighed and pulled myself out of bed once again, tiptoeing past my parents' bedroom. The kitchen had nothing for me, not even milk now. My mom still hadn't been to the store that week, leaving our pantry mostly vacant, save for larger meals. I wanted something sweet. Then it came again. The melodious music from outside. The ice cream truck was driving its late-night road again. Another sharp twinge stabbed at my stomach. The thought of ice cream at that moment was captivating. If the driver were following the same pattern as last night, he'd pass right by here, right? The idea teased me. I weighed my options. The piggy bank in my room had at least two or three dollars of change in its gut. I could run out pay him, grab the ice cream, and run back with my folks none the wiser. But if my father noticed, oh dear God, if he saw, I'd have a lot more than hunger pains to fall asleep to. I stood there and pondered. Eventually, hunger won the debate. I went into my room and opened up my piggy bank. The mechanical jingle was getting closer. It was nearly passing the yard. I put on my shoes and wrapped a jacket over my pajamas. Carefully, I unlocked the front door, praying that the click wouldn't be too loud. I discreetly pulled it open, 
just enough for my small self to slip through. Luckily, not enough for the hinges to creak. I ran across the grass and down the driveway in my sneakers. There it was, steering slowly toward me. The song churning out of the speakers, situated at its top, sounded similar to It's a Small World. It pulled up and stopped near me. A cartoon character with bright blue skin, presumably named Piper, smiled down at me. Behind the hum of its engines, I heard something suddenly clink inside of the truck. The music stopped, and someone hoisted open the vendor window. I tried to look inside, but there wasn't a single light or bulb to light up the interior. It was just a metal box of darkness. Hello? I called out. Hey, little guy. The cheery voice that answered was soft and mellow. Definitely not Mr. Mason's smoker's rasp. What can I get for you? I shuffled the quarters in my palm. Uh, can I have a bomb pop? Sure you can. The chipper voice answered. Inside the shadows, there were vague signs of movement and quiet humming. The sweet-smelling aromas of hot fudge mixed with other milky flavors created a, an amalgam of smells that made my stomach growl. A white-gloved hand melted out of the darkness. Tweezed between its index finger and thumb was my popsicle still in its wrapper. I took it and held my hand full of quarters out to the serving window. Oh, no, no, no. The man said, not necessary. This one's on me, free of charge. I smiled and pocketed the coins. Thank you. I beamed and cocked my head to the side. Can you see anything in there? <laughs> I see everything. The voice chortled. Where are your friends? I scuffed the curb with one of my souls. They're probably all asleep. Everyone is. Why do you drive around so late? Well, I was born sick, you see. The type of sick that makes me sensitive to the sun. If even the slightest bit touches me, I'd whistle, I'd whiz, and then I'd... Whoomp, like a firework. We both laughed at that. From within the lightless interior, I could make out a vague face with perked, smiling cheeks. Would you like another popsicle? he asked. I etched the back of my neck. I should go now. If my dad sees me out here, I'll get in trouble. Oh, he sounded disappointed. Well, he wouldn't want that. Drop by again, okay? Bring some friends next time. I will. I smiled and waved as I carried my free popsicle back to the house. The door quietly closed behind me. My parents... Didn't hear a thing. On my way back to my room, I peered out the window. The ice cream truck was still out there, sitting motionless in front of my house. Finally, the wheels started turning and the music began a new chorus of Home on the Range. I ate the tricolored popsicle in my room. The flavor that tingled over my tongue was nothing like I'd ever experienced. I'm not exaggerating when I tell you that Words will not do it justice, but I'll do my best. It was a beautiful mixture of cherry, lime, raspberry, and something else, something different. It was like a literal rocket that propelled itself through my system and left a sputtering trail of joy. Each bite only brought me to a higher atmosphere. It was fantastic enjoyable and, worst of all, unnatural. I slept like a baby that night with more than a satisfied stomach. The next day, I biked around the neighborhood with a few. We had chosen a miserably hot day for it and quickly regretted the decision. Luckily, we found a large tree and sat with our bikes in its cool shadow. Have you guys heard it too, the ice cream truck at night? I asked everyone. They shook their heads, trading off skeptical looks at me, except for one boy. 
Matthew. He was pudgy, wore a pair of square-lensed glasses that complemented his round face, and had cheeks splattered with freckles. We weren't close friends, but mostly knew each other from school. I've seen it, parked right outside my house, was his tepid response. The guy waved at me from the window. I thought it would wake my mom up, but she slept like a boulder. Before I could answer him, it was as though the devil himself had heard our chatter and we heard the music. Mr. Mason's ice cream van rounded the corner, blasting the first few bars of its tinny melody. That was just what we needed right now, the perfect solution for a brutal summer day. Ever since the bomb pop from last night, I'd been craving another. My thoughts kept returning to it, the lingering flavors still flickering in my mouth. I was almost drooling. I wanted more. Mr. Mason quickly spotted us and pulled up with a smile. He spoke in a grizzled, unique voice, which I now realize was a thick Turkish accent. I handed him the change in my pocket and waited for the wondrous rocket-shaped popsicle. The moment I grasped it, I immediately tore the wrapper off and sunk my teeth into it. Then, just as quickly, I stopped and gagged. It was bitter, like I'd just taken a bite out of frozen wax. The taste covered my tongue and clawed the back of my throat. I let each of my friends have a lick, except for Matthew, who immediately declined. They all said it tasted normal, not sharp or waxy at all. My friend, who had asked for the same thing, even let me try his. It was horrible, absolutely horrible. None of them could taste it, the disgusting flavor. I lay in bed that night, staring at the ceiling and shaking. The pulsing red numbers next to my bed read two in the morning. My eyes were red and swollen from hours of crying. Pain lanced the purple pear-shaped bruise on my leg. A reminder, courtesy of my father, that after a grueling day of work, he did not deserve to come home to a bike left in the driveway. It would, unfortunately, be another nine years of this before the untreated blood clot in his leg would take his life. A few days before the accident, I had told him to go fuck himself. But my father wasn't the reason I couldn't stop shaking. It was the cravings. The throbbing spasms of hunger had been haunting me for the past few nights. They were back with a twisting vengeance, worse than ever. After Mr. Mason had given me the popsicle, I spent the rest of the day trying to get rid of that vile taste. Nothing was working. In fact, every sweet thing I tried tasted just as bad. Even my favorite juice was developing a sharp, greasy aftertaste. I bit deeply into my knuckles, a nervous habit I'd acquired over the years, which has now left a row of callous depressions there. I needed something sweet. I'd have killed for something sweet. Then it returned. The music outside my window, just down the street. The late-night ice cream truck was making its rounds. That was it. The answer to my prayers. Without thinking, I sprang out of bed and grabbed my jacket and sneakers. Slipping out of the house was just as easy as the first time. Mostly, fueled by hunger, I ran to meet the truck halfway. It rolled to a stop, clearly spotting me. Not that I was hard to miss, of course. I ran next to its minty green body and impatiently waited. But nothing happened. Hey, kiddo, the voice said through the open passenger window. Sorry about that, my hatch is stuck and won't open. What can I get for you? Uh, another bomb pop, please? I asked pitifully. Hiding the pleading whine in my voice was impossible. Not a problem. Let's have a look-see. I could hear him rummaging around, muttering incoherently to himself. 
He returned, sounding less than cheerful. Well, that isn't good. My heart sank like an anchor. What isn't? It looks like I'm out of those for the night. Dang, with bad luck. A painful throb racked my stomach, making me wince. Something else, I begged. Can I have something else? He rummaged around some more and sighed heavily. I'm sorry to say, but it looks like I have nothing left. Tears rushed to my eyes. Hopelessness bubbled up inside me. My solution, the one sure thing I needed to get rid of these cravings, was gone. I'd have to wait until tomorrow night. I started the miserable walk home, back to the bed I knew I wouldn't be able to fall asleep in. The snickers dragged along the asphalt. Hang on a tad, the voice said. Looks like I have one more left, just for you. I went back around and raced to the passenger window. Really? I said, wiping the trailing tears from my face. Of course. I heard something unlock the passenger door. I found it right up here. Come get it. A chorus of alarmed voices called out to my brain. Not safe. This is a stranger. Go home. Not safe. Of course, there were red flags, obvious ones. But I was not thinking clearly. My logic had whittled away. All that mattered was the craving, the unusual desire for that exquisite taste. It possessed me. I knew there were risks, but my fatigued, boyish mind was done compromising. I pulled the green metal door open, the cabin was unexpectedly as dark as its backside. An invisible coldness permeated the air, about as cold as you'd presume an ice cream truck to be. The tart, dancing smells of chocolate, strawberry, bubblegum, and other flavors graced my nose. A simple graded step led inside. I spied a vague silhouette sitting at the driver's seat, with my bomb-pop in hand. Go on, it's all yours, he said pleasantly. I leaned inside the truck, planting one foot over the metallic step while the other remained on the pavement. The dim outline of the driver held out the popsicle just inches from my fingers. Come on, he said again. Don't you want it? Just as my fingertip grazed the foil casing, I heard something, something that without a doubt saved my life that night. A strained voice squeaked out of the inside of the truck. Help me! The hand holding the popsicle lunged at me, seizing my arm as I tried to pull back, grabbing a handful of sleeve instead of skin. I gasped, too shocked to muster a scream, and jerked backward. But his grip was relentless. The darkness around us dispersed, and in an instant I could see everything, like some veil had lifted. A nauseating texture coated the ceiling, rust perhaps. It crawled down the inner walls in a reddish-brown crust. There were scuff marks on the stained floor. A foul, eggy smell thickened the air. Every window was impossible to see through, smeared with grime and networking cracks. But the worst of all, the crux of my persistent nightmares even now, was the thing in the driver's seat. A naked, bluish body mottled with dark rashes and boils. Folds of excess skin sagged off its bloated frame, almost like it was melting. One of its long, double-jointed arms was pulling at my sleeve, the loose flesh that hung off of it wobbled and jiggled like sacks of trapped liquid. And then its face, the horrible, horrible face, was creased with a clownish smile. Its gums were gray and infected with bent teeth jutting out of them. It looked bald at first glance, but a few straggly white hairs sprouted from its swollen blue scalp. One of its eyes 
A pitch-black sphere was rooted in its cheek like it had slid down from the socket. The only thing remotely human about the thing was the way it sat in the driver's seat. One ugly hand on the steering wheel, the other still trying to pull me closer. A guttural voice spat out of its mouth at a sickeningly cheery octave. Don't you want it, little guy? I screamed and didn't stop screaming. The sanity drained out of me in fat, seeping tears. My vision was a wet, blurry haze of horror, and internal voices screamed for me to run, 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 run. Suddenly something was ripping. I flung myself back onto the asphalt. My sleeve was now a bloodless gash of torn fabric. The nude, humanoid thing was exerting a strange, huffing, gurgling sound. Maybe laughter. I don't care to know for sure. Outside of the truck was even worse than the inside. Eating away at the pale green paint was a thick film of black matter. It covered the car in a black, muddy ooze, smothering the cartoonish boy in, in his broad smile. A few letters did show through, though. Join the fun. Parts of the grimy substance were moving, throbbing, maybe, as though they had some sort of pulse. The speakers atop its mucky body, although caked in the stuff, were still spewing out sound. It wasn't music, not in the way that the human mind could understand. A hollow, high-pitched frequency with a gravelly white noise hiss. Behind the corrupted pitch was something else, something that sounded almost like it was trying to escape from it, choppy, inaudible screaming. Hell. I was hearing hell. With the last burst of adrenaline my system had to offer, I twisted around and tore through the yard to reach my house. I flung the door open, slammed it shut, and slid down to the floor. I buried my head in the crevice of my knees, drenched in snot and tears. I sat there, wallowing for some time, waiting for my father's footsteps to come pounding out of his room. But it never happened. Both of my parents were still in bed. I tried to wake my mother up, and out of pure desperation my father, too, but neither so much as stirred. The gritty white noise was still screaming from the street. I hid beneath my sheets and covered my ears, trying everything I could to expel it from my head. Help me, the distressed voice had said from the back of the truck, the voice that saved my life. Finally, after minutes of grueling torture, the truck revved its engine and cruised down the street. The house became silent, save for my sleepless crying. A child did go missing that night. Matthew, the boy with freckled cheeks and squared lenses. I will not be giving out his last name for respect of his family. His parents had woken up to his empty bedroom, and their front door left ajar. They called the police and filed a missing persons report, and the community was notified about the disappearance. I remember seeing a few police cruisers lined outside of Mr. Mason's house, probably because of the boy's mother heard him spout off about an ice cream truck coming in the dead of night. They found no evidence against him, but the gray ice cream van didn't leave his garage for the rest of the summer, or any summer after that. To this day, I can still feel those bitter flavors in my mouth, sitting on my tongue like a pool of chemicals. At first, it only affected sweet things, then salty things, and slowly worked its way up to everything. No matter what I eat, no matter what I drink, my stomach attempts to force it out of my body due to its acrid waxiness. I take no pleasure in food. I eat only not to die. I can't remember the last time I enjoyed something as simple as taste. Every night a new wave of impulses come back, crying at the last cardboard walls of my sanity. I cram my knuckles into my teeth to trap the screams inside. 
I beg the dark nothingness of my room for something sweet. That's how it draws you out. Hunger. When the happy, inviting music gets in your head, it fills you with cravings masquerading as hunger. Don't bother trying to wake your parents. It, it won't work. Not while that truck is in your neighborhood. Then you take the bait, the incredible flavor from your dreams, a taste so perfect you'd kill for a sliver of it again. But when you go back, begging for just one more, it takes you. So, I implore you, whether or not you decide to believe me, after reading this, at least give it some thought. If you are ever stirred awake in the dead of night, and an ice cream truck's jingle drifts in from the window, go back to sleep. For the love of God, go back to sleep. Angie's list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is, and it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. You can live out your MasterChef dreams when you find a professional on Angie to tackle your dream kitchen remodel. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside, repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. I hope you enjoyed Did You Hear the Ice Cream Man last night? My author, Michael Page, as performed by yours truly. Up next, we've got a second terrifying tale for you. This one from author N.M. Brown, and I don't recommend you listen to it on full stomach. In it, we'll meet the employees of another food service business. This one, however, isn't slinging sweets to unsuspecting children and is manned by regular folk like you and me. But that doesn't mean they're perfect. When they're confronted with the threat of health code violations, and costly equipment repairs, they endeavor to save money by fixing everything on their own. But what happens when the old adage, if you want something done right, do it yourself, proves to be absolutely wrong? Stay tuned and find out. Without further ado, I present to you Overdone. My breath catches on the golf ball-sized lump in my throat as it escapes my lungs. The health department's been making its rounds, and we were the next bakery on the list. We wouldn't even have known they were coming if not for that asshole Murphy from the cake shop down the street calling to gloat. How the hell they passed inspection is beyond me. I snap my fingers to gather the employee's attention the moment I hear the smugness of Murphy's voice in the line. I tried calling you, Sal. You ain't answering, so I called here, he complains. Yeah, I left it in my truck today. I muttered distractedly. What's up, Murph? Hope you're ready for inspection, Callahan. He taunted through a mouthful of food. We sure as hell were. Hazel just left here. Sounded like she was headed your way. Thanks for the tip, Murph, I responded. Congratulations on the good report. Talk soon. My trembling thumb fumbles with the end call button for a moment before successfully hanging up. I run a clean factory, so it stands to reason that I shouldn't be worried. But I'd be stupid to be cocky. 
A lot of the downfalls of great men have been attributed to overconfidence. This factory meant too much to my family to have things left to chance due to blind optimism. The heels of Hazel's shoes make pert clinks across the floor. Her face looks powerful and smug, almost like she can see the look on her faces as she proverbially squeezes our balls. I find myself laughing derisively at her inside my own mind. She has a job that literally consists of seeking out filth, among other things, and she tries to dress like Christy Brinkley at a photo shoot. What a waste of good fashion. She's been the damn health inspector of this district since my kids were small, and they all have children now. Everyone knows her name, but no one hates it the way that I do. The rush I feel from horrifying this woman brings my heart more joy than it can bear. Problem is, in this business, if you piss her off, you get shut down. I watch her flit assertively through the room like she owns the place and wants to make sure we didn't move any of her stuff. Audible tisks are heard as she checks our logbooks day dots and storage areas. Can't tell if they're from disapproval of the condition or the disapproval that you can't find a problem. I wonder if they get paid more for citations. Is it worth more to have them uh, find a flawed report than a spotless one? Hazel bends down to the floor, inspecting something with great scrutiny. Pinches her gloved fingers together as she plucks it from the ground. Please don't be a fucking bug. It's never happened to us before, but if anything's going to go wrong, now is the time for it. The speck of white rests on the palm of her hand. My mind runs through all of the white-colored parasites I can think of in an instant. Hmm. A fleck of breadcrumb. Please, have your closing employees take more care when closing up, Mr. Callahan. A clean floor is a passing floor. She tut-tuts, snottily. This bitch. Why, yes, of course, Hazel. Thank you for your insight. I beam through a smile that rots my soul. It's at this moment that I notice that my employee Mitchell's shoelace is untied and his shirt lays untucked under his apron. Hey, uh, Mitch, I mumble. Can you go in the back for me and look to see how many deliveries want the ends left on the loaves? I want the orders to be organized, tucked, and tied away properly. I desperately hope he remembers the hazel codes we use. A slight downward glance of his eyes lets me know he gets my drift. A blush dances across his cheeks as he excuses himself to the back office. Friggin' idiot. After painstakingly checking a few more areas, she finally hands over our sheet. A huff of breath comes out in an audible whoosh to see that we passed. We always do, but as I said before, overconfidence is dangerous. There are a few infinitesimally minor infractions, but nothing serious. The fucking paper barely leaves her hand before an acrid stench fills the air as black smoke billows out of the main conveyor oven. Oh, God. Not today. Her eyebrows lift in pleasant surprise as she tries to keep a smirk hidden. That's not good, Mr. Callahan, she purrs. Is it a normal occurrence to burn product like this? I raise my hands in protest. No, Hazel, I assure you. Yeah, Roy follows. There ain't even anything in there right now. It's just preheating for the day. The smallest of chuckles escapes the corner of her lips. Well, 
That's even worse, then. I cannot allow you to operate until the cause of this is determined and repaired. First and foremost, it's a fire hazard. Her voice fades into a dull drone as I attempt to control my anger. I mean, it's not her fault, but she doesn't have to be so damn chipper about it. This oven's old. I knew it would only be a matter of time before something gave out on it. I just hoped we had more time. Maybe if we could only buy and replace the affected pieces, we won't have to buy a whole new oven. There's no way we could afford that right now. I'll leave you with a list of appliance technicians that we recommend to all of the establishments that we inspect. They should be within your rate. She hands the piece of paper to me dismissively before turning to leave. I'm literally counting the seconds until she walks out that front door so I can lose my shit. This did not go how it was supposed to at all. Her hand pauses on the door handle for a moment, and she turns to look at me. I really hope you get this fixed promptly, Mr. Callahan. You were this close to getting a shining report. Maybe next time. She doesn't wait for a response, just opens the door and steps into the evening air. As soon as she gets into her car, I let loose. Fucking hell! Now she wants us to call a professional company out to fix this. We don't have the funds allotted for that. Do you know how many people give up carbs for Lent? Roy, Mitch, we're competent guys. There shouldn't be anything that we can't tackle ourselves. If I pay you both $170 under the table, can you come in early in the morning and help me manage the problem? They happily agree with the arrangements before going home for the night. The disappointed faces of my ancestors chased me through my nightmare riddled sleep. The sooner the morning came, the sooner I could get my doors back open. Roy and Mitch are already there by the time I drive up the next morning. My hands jangle the keys as I unlock the back entrance. Brian, the night shift guy, is here. But we always keep the doors locked during non-business hours for security purposes. We help Brian perform the rest of his nightly tasks before tending to the business at hand. When it can't be avoided any longer, the three of us enter the kitchen area. Roy is the thinner of the two, so he's expected to be the first to crawl inside. He approaches the machine with massive trepidation. Mitchell snickers wickedly as he mockingly makes a motion for the sign of the cross over his chest and face. Kiss your crucifix, boy, and jeers. Now, now, I interrupt. Stop it. There's no danger here. The oven was turned off hours ago. Brian told me so himself. Now stop fucking around and get those parts out. If this oven isn't up to code by tomorrow... We will have to close for the day. I instructed the two employees. Mitchell adjusts his tool belt, pulling his pant legs up, as he bends down to check the power switch. How many times I told you not to wear loose clothing, huh? I snap at him. After a long, hard look at the controls, he mutters some words of satisfaction to himself as Roy begins to crawl inside. I wait just under two minutes after the heel of Mitchell's boots disappeared inside the oven to make the announcement. All right, fellas, I'm booting her up. The temp's turned off, but we need to have to get the belt in motion so you can find which parts need to be replaced. My grandfather didn't break his back starting this business for us, only to be shut down by old equipment. You're good, Cal. One of the workers' muffled voices called from inside the machine. They've heard me say it time and time again. I flick the button in response, listening intently as the belt roars to life. I should feel very little heat inside, if anything at all, Brian said after he disconnected the thermostat at the beginning of his shift. My watch read 8.30 a.m. 
I've already been here for three hours, and Brian started his shift nine hours before I arrived. That's plenty of time. Cool as a cucumber, one of them confirms. I want to say it's Roy's voice, but they're at the point where it's hard to distinguish between them. If I get cooked like pizza, serve me at my own funeral, will you? He jokes from inside. Ha ha, I quip. Who the hell would want to eat you? But that's not how your mother feels. A new voice, most likely natural, joins in. Do you see anything? I interject. Yeah, there's a lot in here that needs work. It'll take more than one trip to... The voice fades away into the metal recesses of the oven before the sentence fully alliterates. At that same point, the phone up front rings. Fucking Murphy. I think disdainfully. He's probably calling to check the status of our inspection. No doubt he's gotten word by now. I trudge to the storefront, more than annoyed at the interruption. Yeah? My tone comes across more disconcerted than intended. Good morning, sunshine, Ryan's voice sings. Calling to let you know that I can come in early this evening if you need me to. I'm going to sleep for a few hours, and I'll be good to go. Oh, we should be good, Brian. Thank you. Roy and Mitch are in there now, removing the parts. I appreciate you disconnecting the thermostat for me. I really got to get back, but I wanted to thank you for your hard work last night. Cal, wait. No, let me say this. You did a very good job. Place looked great when I came in. Get some rest. I hang up the phone just as a clatter resounds from the kitchen. Everything all right in there? I shout. One of them probably dropped something. I swear to God, if they messed something up in there, I'm going to be so pissed. What the fuck? I can't breathe. I hear Roy yell. Mitchell, back up. Let me out of here. I can't move, Mitchell exclaims. Stop backing into me. I can't go backward. It's too strong. If we continue to move forward, we won't make it, Roy cries. And if we stay in one spot, we'll fucking roast. We have to go backwards. Come on, man, move. The terror in his voice sends chills up my spine. What the shit's going on in there, guys? It's not going to let you go backwards, I warn, running to the oven's configuration settings. The thermostat is indeed disconnected. The conveyor control button refuses to bend to the will of my finger as I madly jab at it. I need to get this belt stopped. The problem with these industrial ovens is that they, they run on timers, rendering them almost impossible to shunt down manually in the middle of a bake cycle. More muffled cries ring out from inside the machine. <laughs> Mitchell cries. But I can't hear you. You have to let me know what's going on so I can help you. I say in a poor attempt to keep my voice as calm and level as possible. A dark feeling deep in my gut told me it could have been one of two things. Hot or help. One was tantamount to the other, danger-wise, of course. From the front of the store, the phone once again began to ring. Whatever the fuck it was would have to wait. I need to get Roy and Mitchell out of there. Their muffled words became terrified wails as the heat began overtaking their oxygen. What the fuck is going on in there? I can't turn the belt off. Just come out. Get out of there now! Scream. The sickening, pungent smell of burnt hair and rubber begins to envelop the room. Tears of defense fill my eyes to protect them from the stench. I consider unplugging the entire oven, but either way they would still have to crawl out one way or another. A new scent emerges. A glorious one of roasted meat. My mouth begins to water in spite of itself, and I'm ashamed to say... I can't tell if it's out of hunger or disgust. My God, it's cooking them. The realization sinks in at that point. It's most likely already too late. The only literal options are to either dismantle the side panels to get them out, which, due to the heat, 
would take a minimum of 20 minutes, or let them run through the oven cycle and wait to see what comes out on the other side. I'm standing here, breathing air and feeling the fan blow a breeze on my skin, while they are being torched, burned alive. The heat is robbing them of their breath. Sound from within has diminished considerably at this point. I pray to a God I've never believed in that their nerves are burnt by now, freeing them from any sensation of agony. In truth, I have no idea if they're even still alive. Whether they survive or not, Mitchell and Roy will never be the same, even in the best of outcomes from this. There's less than three minutes left in the cycle. I pray with all of the will in my spirit that the Lord lets them live. Roy's been with us for the last nine years. Her families are very close. And Mitchell, well, his fiancée, Delia, is seven months pregnant with her first child. Delia's a very fragile gal. Too much emotion for such a tiny thing. I can't imagine her being able to do anything on her own, much less raise a child. A waft of steam emerges from the oven before the first body does. A thick swirl of the scent of tainted cooked meat blows in my face as the conveyor transports his body from the hell it just endured to the real world. The sight before me will be burned, forgive the phrase, into my mind's eye until my dying day. Roy's body presented itself with massive burns, mainly concentrating on his face, knees, and hands. There were no facial features, only globs of pink tissue haphazardly shrink-wrapped around bone. A yellow sludge oozes from his orbital sockets, and his lips were completely gone, leaving an elongated row of blackened teeth and charred gum tissue. What's left of his clothing is mostly melted into his skin. My heart drops as I notice a subtle rise and fall of his chest, the crucifix welding the fabric of his shirt into a cotton-skin blend. He's still alive. The only thing I can wonder at this time is how the hell to pry his skin off the belt. If I burn meat like this at home, I'd just throw the whole pan away. I catch myself thinking callously. However, I don't have long to wait. His body starts to quiver and convulse, and after a few moments, his chest stills, never to rise again. A series of sickening squelches and cracks come from inside the oven as the conveyor belt grinds to a sudden halt. It buckles and shakes as it unsuccessfully tries to free itself. A weighted pain spikes through my chest as I come to a sickening realization. He's stuck in the damn machine. Those pant legs, God help us all. Brian comes running through the front doors. Damn it, Cal, I tried calling. Don't let them fucking... His words die in his throat as he mentally absorbs the scene around him. His face falls solemnly as he realizes he's too late. His irises glaze over with the gleam of tears. Whether it's from sadness, horror, or the smell, I can't say. Fucking cow, he sputters. Don't just stand there. Call a fucking ambulance. Mitchell's still in there. He's stuck in the fucking machine, I bark. His lips quiver as his eyes burn into mine with hatred. I... I tried to tell you. I disconnected the thermostat at the beginning of your shift, not mine. The core of that oven is still way fatally hot. You fucking killed them.
The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. I hope you enjoyed Overdone by author N.M. Brown as performed by yours truly. I'd like to... Personally, thank you for joining me for this episode of Scary Stories Told in the Dark. If you enjoyed what you heard, please take a moment to stop by our iTunes page or wherever else you listen to your favorite podcasts and leave us a five-star review and a kind word. It makes a huge difference and would mean a lot to us. If you'd like to hear a premium extended edition of tonight's and all of our other episodes featuring Twice the Terror, visit simplyscarypodcast.com today and click the Patrons link in the menu at the top of the screen. You'll find yourself at chillingtalesfordarknights.com where you can purchase season passes for this podcast and our other quality storytelling programs or become a patron for as little as $5 per month get access to our entire audio archive dating back to 2012, all of it ad-free. If you happen to use Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or YouTube, you can follow and subscribe to Chilling Tales for Dark Nights there, where you'll get all of our latest updates and new releases and have the chance to interact with us each and every week. You can subscribe to me on YouTube as well, at the Otis Gyrie Channel, where you'll find releases of my series, Horror Storytime, dating back to 2014. And you can find me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, too. Just search for Otis Gyrie. Until next week, stay spooky and get some sleep, if you can. <laughs> Thanks for listening. You've been listening to Scary Stories Told in the Dark, a production of Chilling Entertainment and the creative team at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights, and a proud member of the Simply Scary Podcasts Network. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com today to learn more about our network and our other amazing storytelling programs. Tonight's program was hosted, and its featured stories performed by yours truly, Otis Jiry. Selected stories have been adapted with the kind permission of their respective authors. Original music provided by Luke Hodgkinson and Jesse Cornett. Sound design and final mixing and mastering provided by executive producer and director Craig Groshek. Program's artwork and logo by David Romero. If you're looking for some fresh tales on a daily basis while waiting for the next podcast, check out my YouTube channel, The Otis Jiry Channel, and my extensive collection of narrated tales there. Simply search on YouTube by my name, and you'll find me. And don't forget to subscribe and press the bell notification icon to get my latest releases. Got a scary tale of your own that you'd like performed? I take submissions. Email it to me today at otis at simplyscarypodcast.com to have your terrifying tome considered for production 
in a future episode of this show. That's O-T-I-S at simplyscarypodcast.com. If you've enjoyed what you heard on tonight's program and are joining us on your favorite podcast app, subscribe to us to be sure you never miss an episode and leave a five-star review and a comment. Your feedback means a lot to me. You can also follow Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and yours truly on Facebook to connect anytime and get the latest updates on this and other programs and my channel. If you're listening on the Chilling Tales for Dark Nights YouTube channel, do us a favor and hit the subscribe button and the bell notification icon for CTFDN as well to get more spooky tales from me and the crew and another episode of this program each and every Wednesday. And don't forget to hit that thumbs up button to tell us how we're doing and leave a kind word or a request. And don't forget to visit us at ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com and consider supporting the team by becoming a patron. In addition to helping us out, you'll get exclusive access to our audio archive and ad-free downloads of all your favorite stories, including those you've heard on this program. As for me, I'll be back next Wednesday with more terrifying tales to keep you up all night. But that's all right. Who needs sleep anyway? Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. You can live out your MasterChef dream when you find a professional on Angie to tackle your dream kitchen remodel. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside. Repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that.